Well, if you've got a Bible with you, go with me to Psalm 78. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along with us, there should be Bibles that are there in the chair racks in front of you. You can pull one of those out if you don't know where to find things in the Bible. Psalm 78 begins on page 488 of the Bibles that are there in uh, the chair racks. I do have one thing that I want to say that I forgot to do. Um, I was supposed to keep all of the families up here for a picture, and I saw the camera clicking, taking other kinds of pictures, and realized I did not have the picture at the end like I was supposed to do. And so I had multiple people doing this to me, and for whatever reason, that didn't register. And so I even asked, I even asked uh, Pastor Joseph in between services, is there anything I forgot in the first service I need to do? And he said, no, it was fine, so I promptly forgot that in the second service. So it, I know this is a pain, but if you would be so kind after the service to go get your kids from the nursery and bring them back in here, if they are in any presentable state to take a photo, we will work with whatever you bring to the table to make sure that, that we get a photo of that, okay? And I am sorry. also want to mention that Leto's and uh, the, the Jones, Justin and Carly, wanted to uh, be able to participate today, but they've got, both of them have illness in their families, and so they were not able to uh, participate, but they um, wish they could have. Okay, Psalm 78 is uh, where I think uh, everybody should be if you want to be with us in the, in the text this morning. Um, I just want to say again, I'm thankful that we have parents in our church that want to raise their kids for Jesus. And I uh, want to say, state again simply that children are a blessing from the Lord. We believe that from Psalm 127, which explicitly states that children are a blessing. And Children are not just a blessing, they are blessings that we as Christian people have a responsibility to steward. That's not a, a word that we use as a verb very often, uh, but if you wanted to trade out a different word, uh, the best I can come up with is manage, which is part of it, but not really all of it, and, and what, what I think the Bible would want us to understand is that the children that God has given to us are a gift, uh, the children that God has given to us don't actually fully belong to us. They belong to him. And as, as, as blessings that ultimately belong to him, we as Christian parents have a responsibility to, to steward or manage those things in, in, uh, for him. And so I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about that responsibility of, of being good stewards of the blessings that God has given to us, and I want us to think about that responsibility using Psalm 78 as our guide. Now, Psalm 78 is a really long psalm. I think it's like 72 verses, so we're not going to look at the whole psalm this morning. We're just going to look at the first eight verses of it so that they can guide our thinking on this topic, and I just want to start by reading those first eight verses together. So if you're there in Psalm 78, Let's begin our reading in verse 1. The Word of God says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, 
But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. If I could summarize the responsibility that this psalm places upon us, I would summarize it this way. We must tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. We must tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And I want to ask three questions of this psalm and particularly this section of the psalm this morning that I think are going to guide our meditation on it. The first question is this, who must tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord? And the answer to that question might seem a little bit obvious, but I want to make sure that we state the obvious so that we don't lose the obvious. First, and I'm going to give this answer in a couple of parts. In the first hand, this is the responsibility of the parents. And when I use the term parents, I'm referring to whatever parenting configuration you have. I'm, I'm referring to the primary caregivers of these children. We have families who are single dads, single moms, two-parent homes, grandparents that are doing the raising of the children, foster parents. There's all kinds of situations under the sun. And the parents, the, the primary caregivers are the ones who have Perhaps the primary responsibility of telling the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Now, I want you to think for a moment about, as parents, about all the things that uh, you are responsible for as parents for your children. We have the responsibility to feed our children. And they happen to want to eat every day. And they happen to want to eat multiple times a day. And so we have a responsibility to feed them. We have a a responsibility to make sure that they go to bed in some semblance of time, though they never, ever, ever want to go to bed at that time. You have a responsibility of making sure that your children receive their proper health care. You have a responsibility to make sure that your children are educated. You've got a responsibility to make sure your children are socialized. You've got all sorts of responsibilities that you have as a parent. And in doing all of those responsibilities and fulfilling all of those responsibilities, it can be easy to lose sight of the fact that one of your primary responsibilities is to tell them the glorious deeds 
of the Lord. And it's easy for that responsibility to constantly take a back seat to the other seemingly more pressing needs. Chances are, your kids aren't going to bug you if you don't take the time to teach them the Bible. They will bug you if dinner is a minute late. There are all sorts of, of pressing needs that, that constantly cause this responsibility sometimes to get pushed into the back seat. But we have a responsibility as parents, above all things, to tell them the glorious deeds of the Lord. The classic Old Testament passage on this, which if you've got a churchy background will be very familiar to you, is Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now there may be some things that are a little bit confusing in, that, in those verses that I just read. But, but the bottom line of that passage of scripture is, is it's painting a, a holistic picture of God's vision for instructing our children in the ways of the Lord. The vision for them is diligent instruction, both formally and informally, as you go through life together. Diligent instruction, which means it's, it's something that you work at, it's something that it is, is a priority it, is, it, it needs to occur both formally and informally. And so there are times when you sit down and you open God's word and you read the Bible with your children or there is some particular thing that you teach them and maybe it's a time that is set aside on particular days of the week, more formal sorts of things. But then there are all sorts of informal opportunities to teach your kids a biblical worldview, to teach them about God. You're driving down the street and you're behind somebody and they read a bumper sticker out loud and say, what does that mean? Here we go. <laughs> we'll have this conversation right now. All of these are opportunities to teach our children. And I don't, I don't think that we as parents are, are any different from parents in any other generation. But I do believe that we always are tempted to distraction. We are so busy with our own interests, our own pursuits, our own hobbies. We are, so, we are stretched so thin getting them to baseball practice and dance and quiz team and whatever it is. We've got our own issues that we're dealing with. We work jobs. And one of the easy things that we can do as parents is with all of those responsibilities pressing in on us, it's easy for us to just bury our noses in these 
and scroll and scroll and scroll. When our kids need attention. Let me ask us parents, of all the things that we have to provide for our children, and all of them are important, are we taking the responsibility seriously that every day we wake up with the next generation? And every day we are faced with opportunities of whether we are going to diligently tell them of God's glorious works or whether we're going to put it off. Whether we are going to make the time to open the Bible together. And I know it's difficult because we struggle with this in our own family when every night somebody has something. And none of those things are ever at the same place at the same, or at the same time. I know it's difficult when our kids want to talk to us about something and all we want to do is just relax for a few minutes. And you know that if you start this conversation, this is an hour commitment minimum. And of course, there's times where we can say, hey, can we talk about that tomorrow? <laughs> but there are other times when you need to capitalize on the opportunity and talk about it tonight. <laughs> Do we take our privilege and responsibility seriously to tell our kids the wondrous works of the Lord? Before we move on to that second question, though, I want to provide a, a second part of the answer to this question because we're asking, whose responsibility is it? And we answered that question. Obviously, one of the primary owners, owners of that responsibility is the caregivers, the parents. But I'd like to also point out that this responsibility is not given exclusively to parents. This psalm is written and addressed to the believing community, which means that we as a collective whole have a responsibility not only to our own children, but to each other's children. We have a responsibility whether we have children or not, the next generation is here what are we going to tell them about God? It's long been a proverbial expression. I don't know where it came from or how old it is, but it's long been an expression that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that that's true. Now, we don't live in villages anymore. We don't live in tight-knit communities anymore. I suspect that you might know the names of your neighbors on either side of you, but the further out you get, the more iffy it gets, and you don't have to go very far till you stop knowing their names. I'm good with the people next to me. I'm good with the people next to them. I know the husband's name of the family three doors down, but when I see his wife, I'm like, hey, you... And the fourth house, forget it. They might as well live in Tennessee. 
Now, some of us, some of us know our neighbors really well. But the truth of the matter is we don't live in tight-knit villages. We don't live in communities. We choose our housing and who we are living with is the last thing we consider when we consider where we're living. We make choices of living based on, on, on location and appreciation and the finances that we have and its proximity to this and that, never the people around us. And so there's a sense in which we are our highly individualistic living choices Get reflected in our parenting, but I want to remind you that even though we may not live in tight-knit communities, we do live in a community that is intended to be a tight-knit community, and we need each other. I believe it takes the Christian community to raise children well. How arrogant do we have to be to think that the only voice in my child's ears is, needs to be mine. How arrogant is that? The truth of the matter is we need each other. And one of the ways the New Testament describes the church is using the imagery of the family. A couple of times in the New Testament, the, the Bible calls the church, the household of faith, the family of faith. We're supposed to be a tight-knit community, a Christian family, which means that I don't just take responsibility or interest in my own children, but I need to open my eyes and cast my net a little bit wider and take an interest in the children around me. And maybe you have had the experience of having other Christian people in your church Take interest in your kids. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is that somebody else takes the time to write a note to your child. That somebody else works every week to teach your child the Bible. We've got people who give hours every week so you can sit in here and they can hear the glorious works of the Lord from them. I thank God for the people that he's brought into my family's life, both here in our own church and, and in churches that I've been part of in the past who have had a profound shaping impact on my own children. We get frustrated sometimes as parents because we can say the same thing a thousand times and then somebody else says it to your child and they're like, did you know that, that this is true? And you're like, well, we said it a thousand times. Why, why, did, why did they get to get the credit for it? Well, maybe if we stopped worrying about the credit and just were thankful that God put other people in their lives so they could hear it from them, just be thankful for that. One reason we involve ourselves in church life is so that we can forge connections with other believing people and so that our children are hearing the same message filtered through a variety of different personalities and experiences and relationships, all of them reinforcing the truths of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And I just want, I just want us to catch a vision for that. I just want us to, to see for a minute what could be. 
When we expand, when we expand the scope of what we define as the family and we start looking at it in broader terms and see that, that God has graciously allowed us as a church to play a part in telling the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And no, you're not going to be able to pray for every single child in our church the way, the way that you might pray for some of them. You're not going to be able to have an impact on every child in our church uh, the, way, the way you could. And there are appropriate and not appropriate ways to do that. But at the end of the day, all of us have spheres of influence that we can use and that we can leverage so that we can reinforce what they're hearing. Let's, let's embrace that responsibility as parents and as the larger family of God. There's a second question that I want to ask of this text. Not only who's supposed to do it, but secondly, what are the glorious deeds of the Lord that the coming generation must be told? The answer to that question is, uh, is, is found uh, for us in verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Now, I, I told you already, we don't have time to walk through this psalm because it's really long, but if you were to read all the way through verse 72 of Psalm 78, you would see that the, the might and the wonders of the uh, glorious wonders of the Lord that are on display in this psalm are all related to the Exodus. They're all related to the symbol at that time, the symbol of God's deliverance. If you were to ask any, any person at that time period, looking back what is the symbol of God's deliverance of his people, they would have pointed to the Exodus. And there are so many things from the Exodus that are brought out in the rest of the psalm. They wanted their children to see that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They wanted them to see God's might on display in the crossing of the Red Sea when their ancestors walked across on dry ground. They wanted to see God's might on display in the pillar of cloud at day and the pillar of fire at night. They wanted to see God's power on display in his miraculous feeding of his people. They wanted to see them to see God's power on display as he protects them as they move through the wilderness wanderings. They experienced God's might and God's power and his wonders again and again and again. As the Christian community now, we also live in the shadow of a great deliverance, do we not? We are able to look back not just at the Exodus when God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, but we are able to look back at the deliverance that is worked on us in, uh, worked, uh, worked out at the cross. The cross is the display of God's majestic deliverance of his people from their sin. 
We want to call our children to behold the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. We want our children to behold the, the glory of Christ and his healing of people. We want them to see the glory of Christ as he raises people from the dead. We want them to see the glory and the power of Christ as he breaks a few loaves of bread and uses them to feed a multitude. We want them to see the glory of Christ as he stands up in the middle of a storm and rebukes it and makes it calm. We want them to see the beauty and the glory of Christ as the Son of God and second person of the Trinity willingly lays down his life for his people and we want them to see his might and his glory and his power as he, as he raises in triumph over sin and death from the grave. We want to tell our children those stories. We have the glorious privilege of telling our children the glorious gospel. That while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, not because we're pretty good and we need a bump, but while we were yet sinners, Christ would come and do that for us. We need to tell our children again and again and again and again how much God loves them. And then we need to point them to the cross and show them why and how. We need to call them to repent of their sins and believe the good news. Let me just say, if you're with us this morning here and that's not something that you have ever done, then we would implore you even now in this moment, in this service, having just briefly sketched out this plan of the Bible telling one story and every story whispering his name and everything pointing to the Messiah, the deliverer who would come, who comes and offers himself on a cross for our sins and then raises in triumph over sin and death and the grave and then offers the benefits to sinners like us. If you have never trusted Christ, you could repent and believe the good news of the gospel even where you're sitting in this moment. There's a third and final question that I want us to ask of this psalm. And that question is this, why must we tell our children the glorious deeds of the Lord? And in just a moment, I want to highlight for you four outcomes that we are parenting toward that are found in verses seven and eight. These are, these are outcomes, these are things that we want to happen, that we desire to see happen in their lives. But before we examine these four desired outcomes, I want to remind you of something very, very important that I've reminded you of many times before. And that is that you cannot produce these outcomes. Every one of us as parents 
wake up with children one day and think that we're going to do it better than everyone else before us has done. Our parents knew nothing. We've read the books, and we are going to do it right this time. Problem is, you don't. Problem is, you often fail absolutely miserably. And if you parent long enough, you begin to see with more and more clarity that the one part of your child that most desperately needs to change is the one part you can't reach. Now, we, 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 we say we believe this, but we don't act like it. Because we think, oftentimes, if I can just protect enough, if I can just educate this way enough, if I can just be disciplined enough, if I can just make sure that they only eat this kind of food enough, if I just make sure that I control what influences they have around them, if I can do, if I can do, if I can do, if I can do, if we can just do it enough, I can't produce the outcome, but I can get like 99% of the way there. When in reality, you and I are absolutely powerless to change our children's hearts. Which is why we need to take the stress off of ourselves and give that part of the job to God. If we're parenting towards a particular outcome that we think we can produce, we are dead in the water already. We are, we are headed towards disappointment. Or we're headed towards pride thinking, huh, nailed it. We're not able to produce these outcomes. These, these, are, this, these outcomes are God's job to produce. What I said, though, is that we are to try, with God's grace and with God's help, to parent toward these outcomes, meaning we do what we're supposed to do, which is be faithful to raise our kids the way God tells us to, and then we let God do his job, and we stop taking his resume and his skill set and pretending like it's ours. But here are the outcomes that we are parenting towards. Number one, we want to parent our children in the first place to hope in God. That's what the Bible says in verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God. Romans 15.4 tells us that everything written in the former days was written for our instruction so that through the scriptures we might have hope. We want, our, we want children, our desired outcome is children whose hope is firmly fixed in God. And we need to teach our children this we need to demonstrate this hope both with our lips and with our lives. 
We can talk about it all day, but we have to live it. And our children, they can see right through us. We think we're whispering in a corner, and they already know the whole thing. So it has to be something that, that it has to be something that we don't just tell them. It has to be something that we show them, which means as we're teaching our children to hope in God, God needs to be teaching us to hope in God. Because I hope in God until things get tough. And then I've got a bunch of other things to fall back on. I thank God for the things that he gives to help us when trouble comes. But ultimately, we want our children to see both in what we say and what we do that when the rubber hits the road, my hope is not here. My hope is not that we have enough to cover it. My hope is not that I have job security. My hope is not that we've got good insurance. My hope is not ultimately in any of these good gifts. Our hope is in God, and he will not fail us. If we're going to parent towards that, then we're going to need to experience it. Which means our walk with Christ needs to be one of an ever-expanding experience of hope in God, of reorienting our hope in God. Secondly, we want our children, this outcome for our children, we want them to remember his works. The Bible says that in the middle of verse 7, and not forget the works of God. We want our children to remember God's works. We are so quick to forget what God has done for us. We sometimes look at the, the, the people of Israel when they're led out of Egypt and we kind of look down on them a lot because they experience this miraculous deliverance from Egypt and at the first moment that trouble comes, they're like, come on, Moses, did you think through this? We could, we could be in Egypt right now eating, which is a common theme when you think about it. And I'm sure Moses was like, do you remember a week ago what you were doing? They're in the wilderness being miraculously fed and they're like, do we have other food options? I would like a buffet. See, I told you food comes up a lot. Okay, so quick to forget what God has done for them. And we can look at them and think, well, we would never be like that. And yet, I find myself to be so quick. As soon as trouble comes, oh no. And I forget what God has already done. If the people who walked through the Red Sea on dry ground could forget, then we can too. Which is why we must Remember God's works. 
It's why we gather week in and week out as the people of God to hear again what God has done for us, to be reminded of his grace to us, to see what he is doing in the lives of people around us in the Christian family and know that he does those same things for us too. Thirdly, we need to, to uh, an outcome that we are parenting for is that our children would keep his commandments. We want to teach our children that those who love God keep his commandments, as 1 John tells us. And we want to be careful in how we do this. We want to make sure that as we're discipling them in this way and teaching them this way, we're not, we're, not, we're not inadvertently, accidentally teaching them that we obey God so that God loves us. We would need to teach them that God loves us, which causes us to want to obey God. It's God first, we follow. But we want them to know that Proverbs 13, 15 tells us that the way of the treacherous is their ruin. The King James Version of the Bible from a long time ago says the way of the transgressor is hard. Oftentimes we ourselves, and of course our children who follow in our footsteps, believe that, that joy and freedom is found outside of God's constraints. That what God wants of us and what God, want, what, what God expects of us is, is actually, it's drudgery. We have to do it. He saved us, so I guess here we are. We owe it. When in reality, when we have changed hearts, walking in God's ways is walking in harmony with our original design. It is the path to joy and it is the path to freedom. And we want our children to see that by the way we joyfully obey. Finally, we're almost done. The fourth outcome is we want our children to avoid our mistakes. Verse 8 says, And that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. One of the sad things about this psalm is that as you f pick up the reading in verse 9 and follow all the way through 72 and you hear all the things that God has done, rehearsing all of the details of the Exodus, there are all kinds of other things, themes woven in about the people's faithlessness, their father's faithlessness in response to God. All these words that I'm going to read to you are words that describe their response to God's deliverance in the Exodus. This psalm says that they sinned, they rebelled, they tested, they demanded, they did not believe, they did not trust, they turned away. Seven descriptions of their response to that. And we see the history of God's people bearing the fruit and reaping the consequences of that. We want, as parents, though we thought we were going to be able to do it great, and then life teaches you you're actually not that good at it, we want to build on what our parents did for us if we had good parents, or we want to create new ways of acting and being if our parental examples were not the right thing, and then we want our children to build on what we've done and do better than us, 
And we want their children to build on what they have done. And we want to create lines of generational faithfulness. We want to create a current. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be able to control everything or everyone. But we want to get that current going. We want to lead the next generation better than our own. CBC, we have the sobering but glorious task of telling the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And there's a lot to choose from. So let us, by God's grace and with God's help, embrace this task. Maybe you're a parent and your parent, children have already moved and out of the home. And what you're feeling right now is, I've totally blown it, and I can't go back and fix it. I want you to walk out of here without that burden this morning. There is grace for every failure. And God is able, and there are examples over and over again of God overcoming our failures for his glory and the good of our children. Don't walk out of here with a burden this morning of what you could have done. Maybe you're a parent here and your kids are half grown and you have, have, a, a, you have a, a half of a lifetime of them with you with bad habits. Can I encourage you that you can change? With God's grace, by God's help, you can, you can stop and you can admit, I've done a poor job in the past, but the past doesn't have to be my future. God can help me change the direction of our family. For those of you who are just starting off as parents, can I encourage you to take these things to heart with all of the books that we read and the perfect strollers that we research that can fold into 16 configurations and feed the children for us. We spend so much time on Amazon finding the perfect one. Let's invest our time in something that actually matters. As a church, let's embrace a long view Verse 6 says something interesting. I'll close with this. Verse 6 says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Let's think about the future. Let's ask God to help us with the future. There are children who are going to be born in the days and weeks and months and years ahead, and they're going to have children, and they're going to have children, and let's set a current of faithfulness so that we can have impact on children that are yet unborn that we will never meet. And let's ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us as the family of God to set and fix our hope firmly in you. I pray that you would help us to steward 
the young lives that you have given us well. We know that we will not do it perfectly, and we know that in many cases we will make horrible mistakes. We pray that you would give us and our children grace. But I pray that you would help our children walk away from our presence knowing that we showed them Jesus. I pray it in his name. Amen.